Before I actually begin the Dharma talk itself, I'd like to uh, just give a little um, instruction uh, about what it is to what it, what is a Dharma talk and 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 how do we listen to a Dharma talk? Um, of course, uh, there there are many of you who have heard many Dharma talks, but for those uh, who are a bit newer to this practice. Um, a Dharma talk is, it's not exactly like a lecture, even though, you know, I'm sitting up here in the front of the room and I'm giving a talk like uh, maybe a professor would, you know, at, at university. Um, a Dharma talk is, is <coughs> the way we relate to, the way we listen to a Dharma talk is a little bit different. You know, when we're listening to a lecture about a particular subject, we might be kind of thinking about, you know, oh, this relates to that, you know, you know, something about literature or, you know, politics or geography, and this relates to what I've learned about that, and, you know, we're kind of piecing what we're hearing together with our framework of, of knowledge in, in a kind of intellectual way. When we're listening to a Dharma talk, um, it's a more holistic kind of listening. So you could say, perhaps, you know, we listen with our heart. You know, wh- where does that touch me? Does does that? Am I connecting with, you know, what's being said about this? Is there something that, you know, is really resonating with me about my practice that that feels like it's, you know, it's pointing to. Um, some truth that you know I'm understanding, um, and um, and it's you know it's not that we don't that we have to take in everything and you know and believe everything that you know I say as you know kind of um, as if it's from the Buddha's mouth. It's not like that. Um, because you might you might hear something and say, mm, I don't, you know, it doesn't make sense to me, and that's okay. Um, but you know, don't get stuck there. <laughs> you know, keep listening, and um, uh, and see what is useful that you can you can you know take in. It's useful for you for your practice. So um, what I'd like to talk about today is uh, embodied wisdom. And, um, and this, this is very much in line with our practice of mindfulness in the body that, that I've been talking about and we've, we've all been practicing. I'd like to start by talking about some ordinary ways that we we think about the body and ordinary attitudes that we have about the body. Um, and it's not that these, you know, should disappear or, or that they're bad or we need to get rid of them. But, but they're not, they're not the, the mindfulness of the body practice that, I, that, you know, I'm going to be talking about. So, you know, we, we often think about our body as a thing, 
You know, it's like an object. We objectify our bodies in our minds. We have an idea that our body is something. And we have an image of our body, you know, of our own bodies and other people's bodies. You know, we have an, an image that we hold in our mind, but particularly looking, about, looking at how we relate to our own bodies. You know, we have an image. And, and, um, and usually we, we have feelings about that image of the body. We, we like it or more likely we don't like it. You know, we think it's um, it's too this or too that or not enough this or not enough that. Um, so, so this sense of having an image of the body, you know, is 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 part of how we make it a thing. We objectify it. Um, we. Um, we, we think of the body as an object of others' desire or aversion, depending on how we feel about our body. So, so if, if the body is not conforming to the norms of, of beauty and grace, you know, and I use this, these words pertaining to male ideals as well as female ideals, you know, we may um, think that um, that the body uh, is is something that creates aversion to others, and we may feel aversion to our body. And if we if we think that our bodies are, you know, very desire desirable, then we may identify with being an object of desire. So. Um, uh, so that you know that in itself can you know create a lot of suffering. Um, we also you know if if our if our body uh, well as our bodies age you know we we might go from feeling that you know this body is very desirable to this body is no longer de- desirable, and that's another piece of suffering that people go through. And then, if we are um, a body, if if this if this body is, you know, of a different ethnic origin or racial group, um, the and you know, then then the majority, we may that may become part of how we think about our bodies, and it may be how we identify the body, and so. There are all kinds of um, ways that we're projecting our attention outside the body, looking at the body as an object, you know, projecting it through other people's eyes. So we can also, uh, the body can, can be a projection of our of our personality, we can dress up the body in certain ways, you know. So you think, I'm, I want to project this kind of image, you know. Uh, so, you know, I'm gonna, you know, whatever, get tattoos or, uh, you know, or d- 
dress to the nines, you know, spend all my money on classy clothes. Uh, so, again, it's not condemning any of this. It's it's the identification with it. You know, it's the identification that this is who I am. Uh, my body is is myself that creates suffering and and always, you know, seeing the body. These are all seeing the body somehow as an object. Um, and and identifying with how others are seeing us. <coughs> Another way is um, people uh, get caught in addictions, um, food addictions, sex addictions, um, substance addictions, and 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 these are this is another way of uh, that of relating to the body, which is not um, uh, you know not in line with this whole practice of mindfulness of the body. So so it becomes the body becomes a kind of escape from being present with you know the parts of our lives which are difficult, um, whatever it is, whatever it is that's challenging or painful or unhappy. Uh, so addictions, the you know feeding, different appetites of the body, and so on. One of the things that people mistake for um, a spiritual attitude uh, to the body is, um, is this idea that, that we, you know, we can perfect our bodies, you know, that we can get, you know, sort of the perfect body. And, and sometimes yoga teachers fall into that <laughs> and uh, and yoga practitioners uh, it's like yeah just, my body's going to be so flexible and I'm going to look like that you know on that CD or DVD or whatever that uh, or that magazine and um, and there was actually a uh, you know and I'm going to eat so healthy and um, and I'm just going to you know Stay young forever, and uh, and there there's a, there's this discourse uh, um, of the Buddha, in which he meets this this yogi um, named uh, Magadhaniya, and um, and and he he's talking to Magadhaniya, and um, and Magadhaniya is, is is saying, well, I think that you know. Good health and well-being. This is liberation. This is, you know, nibbana. The Buddha talks about complete freedom and and uh, non-reactivity. Um, and uh, and so, you know, even back at the time of the Buddha, <laughs> there were people who thought, yeah, if I if I just get my body perfect and perfectly healthy and then you know that I'll be perfectly happy, and uh, and the Buddha said, no, no, that's not true. Um, and uh, so, so uh, the Buddha said that um, that nibbana or liberation is not subject to um, aging, illness, and death. Whereas 
no matter how well trained the body is, it is subject to aging, illness, and death. So, so these are just some of the ordinary, you know, very common attitudes that we we have to our bodies, you know, as as uh, and you know, maybe you connected with some of them, maybe not others. Um, but but in in our practice, our body is really an ally becomes an ally um, to our practice. <clears throat> and um, uh, and the Buddha said uh, about mindfulness of the body, now, there's one thing that when cultivated and regularly practiced leads to deep spiritual intention so we talked about intention how important it is to peace to mindfulness and clear comprehension to vision and knowledge to a happy life here and now and to the culmination of wisdom and awakening And what is that one thing? It's mindfulness centered on the body. So so all of those ways of conventionally looking at the body and regarding the body and thinking about the body and our attitudes toward toward the body um, really uh, see the body from the outside as an object. And so in our practice, we're learning to inhabit the body from the inside. And, and in that way, it becomes a place of, uh, of rest, a place for us to discover the awareness that's present in the body and, um, and a home. Um, there's a there's a wonderful teacher named Gil Fronsdale who is um, he's, he's a, a teacher uh, in California and he's both a scholar and a translator of texts and um, and a highly accomplished meditator and teacher and he uh, he began his practice um uh, well, actually, he, he's practiced Zen as well as Vipassana, so I don't know if this was b- the beginning of his practice, but he's done Vipassana practice in, in Thailand with um, Buddha Dasa, one of the great teachers of this tradition. So he, he says, I did not begin my Buddhist practice with any intention to discover my body. I had no idea that the body had any importance to the path of practice except as something to place on the meditation cushion. Even during my early months and years of meditation, when my body painfully revealed patterns of tension and psychological holding, I was convinced that these physical difficulties were nuisances to be ignored or transcended 
rather than the actual substance and unfolding of practice. Slowly, over the years, as my body began to come alive, I was, and still am, repeatedly surprised by how much awareness, love, and compassion are found in and through the body. I have learned that mindfulness of the body is the foundation of mindfulness practice and one of the best friends we have for integrating that practice into daily life. And so, and I, I just resonate with that so much. Um, you know, uh, when I began my practice, I, I really didn't think that, um, you know, I thought it was all about the mind. Uh, and and I didn't really think that the body was, um, you know, any more than something that's <laughs> kind of carry around my head. Uh, and um, and when as I began, you know, doing retreats and sitting longer, I and I began to practice mindfulness in the body and. Um, and realized that you know when when there was craving that came up, grasping, anger, jealousy, um, judgment, you know these were all being expressed in the body, and these habits of mind are being held in the body, and and it's it's really um, so helpful to be able to. To see it, it's not easy to see it. <laughs> it's not easy to see it, uh, but it is so helpful because uh, you know the mind, you know, moves very quickly, and so we may we may have a thought, and then you know, and then we turn our attention somewhere else, and that thought is gone. But when those are patterns, when those are habits. You know, in the body, and we turn, we learn to turn our attention to the body. We can encounter it. We can come into uh, a direct uh, experience, uh, an intimate experience of what that is, and and we discover that it's you know it's not it's not very pleasant, uh, and. And this is where the Buddha started his teaching. You know, page one, chapter one, there is suffering. And then when we feel in the body what, uh, what judgment is, what anger is, what grasping is, what jealousy is, you know, we say, right on, Buddha, that's suffering. We know it. We know it for ourselves. We, we don't know it through the mind it's not just an idea you know we know it we know it in the body there was one early on in practice uh, in Vipassana practice um, I had this experience I've talked about it in different contexts so uh, forgive me if you've heard it before Um, that you know, all of a sudden, I uh, I realized how much 
judging was coming up in the mind. And, um, and I, I felt it as a whole body experience, that it was, uh, it was very painful to be judging all the time. <coughs> I mean, I, I was astonished at how much the mind was judging. You know, I was judging how people did their walking meditation. I was wa- judging how um, people ate their food. I was judging what they were wearing. Of course, you know, I was really judging myself even more than that, but I didn't see that until a little bit later. But it was so painful, and to see it and to feel it and to know that. Um, and, I, you know, I just spent the afternoon sitting by the pond and crying because it was such a shock to see that and to feel it and to realize how painful it was to always be judging. And and seeing how painful it was helps us to disconnect, you know, motivates us. When, you know, somebody asked about renunciation and rejection. So earlier so so uh, when we see when we see wow that's really suffering you know it it helps the mind to let go so we think okay you know that's that's actually that's actually painful i thought it was helping me i thought it was making me feel better i thought it was making me feel superior to everybody but actually underneath it was a lot of pain and so seeing that helped the mind to let go. Now I never judge. (laughs) (coughs) So uh, another thing that Gil Fronsdale said, which I I really uh, found quite interesting uh, in the same talk, is um, when he when he did one of his early retreats with uh, Ajahn Buddha Dasa. Um, Ajahn said to him, "Don't do anything that takes you out of your body." And and Gil wasn't sure what he meant, but he took it as an instruction. And he began to observe, you know, so when is he kind of, when is his attention moving out of his body? And um, and he realized it was all the time, you know. He was thinking of what, you know, he wanted to do. He was thinking of what he wanted to eat, of where he wanted to go, uh, of what he wanted to be. And so that was a great instruction because, you know, all of that kind of reaching out to, you know, become something, do something, experience something was taking him away from being present in the body. And so he, you know, he just, you know, deepened that practice of... um, uh, Of settling into the body, and 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 when we 
really deepen that practice and 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 abide in the body. You know, the Buddha used the expression, the term, or at least it's been translated, to be mindful of the body in the body. So mindful of the body in the body. So our our locus of attention is in the body. And when we train ourselves in that way to be in the body, then we see those arisings. We see what's pulling us away from being present in the body. And and so, you know, we we learn to the body tells us by just through our senses, through our through the, the quality of energy that's present in the body, you know, when is grasping arising? When is anger arising? So that we can notice, you know, when is this arising of kind of this firing energy of anger coming up in us before we, you know, put it out there, say something, you know, that's really hurtful or do something that's really hurtful and and then, you know, we're we're needing to we're in damage control and needing to say, uh, you know, I'm sorry, I overreacted or or, or may, I mean, maybe there really is something that's a problem in a relationship that we need to talk about. But usually the best way of talking about it is coming from a place of um, affirming the relationship and addressing, you know, what's problematic there. Um, rather than kind of just lashing out. So, so our bodies can, the more we're, we're tuned in, the more we can recognize what's moving in the body. And, and it's, it's really with a, an attitude of, of acceptance and openness and listening. You know, so we're really listening to the body. So, you know, a tightening of the stomach, a uh, tightening of the jaw, uh, in the throat, or a tingling in the hands. Sometimes, you know, when I feel afraid, I, f- I feel it in my arms and my hands sometimes. It's, it's all the body speaking to us. And, um, and so it becomes... It becomes a, a place, a context within which we can be attuned to what's moving through us. What's what's you know what's manifesting? What are we feeling? What are our responses? And you know, it's not that it's not that words and ideas are are unimportant, but but when we're grounded in the body, the appropriate response is. Um, is easier to find. Um, 
And as we are tuned into the body, we we discover that you know the body is not a thing. Now that's the that's the kind of ordinary concept, uh, the ordinary attitude that people have towards the body. It's it's a thing. It's a it's an object. Uh, the body is really a, a living <coughs> process. The, the body is not something static. Um, the body is it's a uh, it's alive. It's um, <clears throat> it's it's a flow of energy, and um, and it's an expression of life. When we're when we're grounded in the body, you know one of the one of the reasons one of the things that that um, uh, people encounter as we enter into this practice is that you know we we often feel we need to know the answer to everything. We need to know the answer if you know if we have something comes up in our life. So what are we going to do about it? You know, people say, so what are you going to do about that? You know, um, there's a problem, you know, so what should I do? I should know, you know. And so so we come up with an idea. Okay, I, I guess I'll do this, or I guess I'll, you know, I'll, I'll work on that. And, um, and the body, because it's a place, it's silent, it's, it doesn't speak in words. Uh, it, it 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 expresses itself in a, a nonverbal way. You know, we when we're when we're in the body, we're in a place of not knowing, not knowing. and um, and not knowing in in Buddhist teaching is actually. Uh, Surprisingly, um, often a place of wisdom. It's a place of openness. It's a space of of curiosity, of interest, of potential. If I don't know, then I'm then I'm exploring. I'm I'm uh, I'm looking deeply. So, so being in this space of not knowing is is actually, um, if if we're know it all, you know, you know, maybe maybe some of you have heard the the, the Zen story of the uh, of the man the the man who came to visit the Zen monk, and uh, and he knew a lot. He he was a scholar. and He knew a lot about. Zen practice and Zen history, and um, you know, and and he wanted to speak to this monk and, and get some teaching, and um, and they sat down to some tea and and uh, and and the Zen monk poured into his cu- into the, the visitor's cup, and then you know after the cup was full, he kept pouring. And the visitor said, you know, hey, it's spilling all over the place. You know, it, it, you can't put any more in there. It's full. It's already full. 
And so, and the monk said, yeah, your mind is so full. You know it all. Uh, probably didn't say it quite like that, but um, you never know with the monks. <laughs> and, uh, your mind is so full of all this knowledge that there's no space for you to you know, receive anything new, to be open to other possibilities. So, um, so being present, not knowing, being open, curious. So, um, yeah, just to, to go back to to one of the uh, phrases from um, that piece by Gil Fronsdale that I read. When, when the body painfully revealed patterns of tension and psychological holding, I was convinced that these physical difficulties were nuisances to be ignored or transcended rather than the actual substance and unfolding of practice. So, so one of the things I've discovered is that, um, you know, in my own body, uh, well, my own body is not mine. I mean, the body is alive and it's made of water and energy and earth and so so that's why I keep saying the body rather than my body or your body. So the body is something that's continually changing, and, he, and so uh, it's not something static. It's every cell is replenished every seven years or something like that. So so there's there's uh, there's not one cell in your body that was there when you were a child, and yet we still think of it as you know this is this is me. It's a process, and uh, and as you know, as I began to um, attune to the body and notice, you know, when craving was arising, when anger was arising, and how it lived in the body, and um, and the patterns of reactivity, and how they manifested in the body, and you know, as somebody said earlier today, it's it's not easy. It's painful can be very unpleasant and feel very intense. Um, so, but just, you know, having the patience and the compassion to give it space to be received, you know, allows the body to begin to release some of those habits, you know, in which we're contracting around pain, contracting around Patterns that you know have accumulated over over a lifetime, <clears throat> and um, and we we discover that you know the holding actually takes a lot of energy. You know all of that holding that we're doing, all the tightening and tensing that we're doing in the body, it actually takes a lot of energy. 
and that when we begin to relax around um, some of these places of tightness in the body, uh, that that we have more energy in our lives, um, more energy to be present, more energy to um, to live in in ways and and give and create and uh, explore the world in ways that we like to. Hopefully not just to do, 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 more, 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 uh, driven behavior. That's, you know, that's patterned behavior. If if we feel like we're on a wheel, you know, rat race wheel, then there's a drivenness that's... uh, that we have to be something. Um, we have to become something that conforms to some idea. <clears throat> so, um, so energy is freed as we release some of those those patterns of holding, those habits of holding. And you know, another. Another thing I discovered is that, you know, when we're holding, when we're contracting in the body, a lot of pain in the body is can be can come from contracting in the body. Um, and as we bring mindfulness to those places of contraction, um, and you know, we may experience grief or, you know, that we've been holding and trying to block off or push away or, uh, or fear. That when we can receive that, that hurt or that pain in the space of compassion and awareness, um, it can move through us. It can, it can release over time. It wants to be received. It wants to be released. It wants to be known. And uh, it's the, it's the pushing it down and and contracting around it that um, that holds it actually. So, um, so we're not we're not directing our attention to the body, you know, in kind of as opposed to the mind. We're actually discovering the awareness that's in the body. Again, uh, to read from Gil Fonsdale. In the end, the centrality of the position of the body in Buddhist practice does not mean that we need to willfully direct our attention toward the body as if awareness and the body were two separate things. Mindfulness of the body is instead an invitation for us 
to open to the awareness which is already present in the body. Practice is not directing or creating something. The beginning and end of practice is the awakening of what is already there. So, um, so this is this is what I would like to encourage you to explore and discover. It's it may not make complete sense to you now. It's if it, if you're new to the practice of mindfulness in the body, but just learning to be present in the body. You know, as you as you stand as you walk, as you eat, as you um, do your yoga practice, as you take a shower, as you brush your teeth, as you go to the washroom, just really staying connected to the body. You know, just try it. I really encourage you, invite you to, to make that a continual practice throughout this um, this time that we have together uh, to perhaps you might find a place where you're you're kind of bringing your awareness maybe it's in the heart just as you're walking as you're you know just just feeling your heart or maybe in in Zen practice the the place where people bring their attention uh, seat their attention is is the just below the navel? It's, it's called the hara, and it's uh, just in the abdomen here. And just feel that as a, a kind of a, a groundedness, a place where you can abide in the body. And and notice when you're getting pulled out of the body, you know as. As Ajahn Buddhadasa said to to Gil, you know, don't do anything that takes you out of the body. It's it's actually it's not it's not something we're used to, so it it may feel different, but it's not hard. You know, it's it's I mean it's not complicated. <laughs> it's it's uh, it's simple, so it's a simple practice just coming back to the body, feeling the flow of sensation. And then noticing, you know, where's the mind? Is it off somewhere? Come back. Come back to the body. And, uh, and the body does become our, our greatest friend, our, our greatest ally in our practice of becoming free, becoming uh, non-reactive, happy, loving, and compassionate being. So let's uh, let's take a couple of minutes just to sit. So you don't have to change your posture. <coughs>
Just find a stability of posture and, and feel the body breathing. short poem by David White called Enough Enough These few words are enough If not these words this breath If not this breath this sitting here This opening to the life we have refused again and again until now, until now. Thank you for listening. 
To learn how you can support the teachers and Dharma Seed, please visit dharmaseed.org slash donate.